Hey everybody, so I am here today with Troy Zentner and Troy is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Gold Star Payments. How you doing, Troy? Hey, great. Awesome. Thanks, well, thanks. guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, oh, thanks great for to have us. you. So we're, we're going to talk today about uh, transaction reconciliation, lost payments, fraud, all kinds of really interesting things. But before we jump into that, Troy, I thought maybe you could give everybody a little bit of a background. Um, how did you get into this crazy industry? How did you end up uh, co-founding Gold Star Payments? Give us a little background, if you would. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm coming from the insurance world previously, uh, a couple decades ago, but sure. uh, I sat on a bank board. And uh, uh-huh. when part of the bank board was always dealing with, you know, credit cards and reconciliation and risk and fraud and that type of thing. And so uh, a couple guys on the bank board asked me to partner on that project and, yeah, dove in deep and, and have been a part of that now for a decade. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's how it started. Well, that's great. Um, so what was kind of the the underlying need or, or that you saw in the industry where you're like, okay, we want to, we want to start Gold Star Payments and build the, the software that you've built and everything? I mean, what was, what was the impetus to kind of get that going? Yeah, for, you know, our first eight years, I was, you know, an agent, ISO broker type, not registered, you know, right. selling for others. And, and, and there was just continual issues with, Scalability, keeping large customers, transparency, um, you know, and being from a bank side, I understand the old cobalt, you know, green screen type of technology that payments were built off of. And I actually had a lot of, I, I, had, caref- I had lived through front row seat to the whole 2008, you know, recession thing. And so sure. I had, had really focused on industry types that I thought would last through, you know, troubling times like that. Yeah. And, and so I had uh, a lot of big medical customers that I was on the wrong side of Obamacare and uh, lost some big customers through that. Sure. And so um, I, I wanted to be on the front end of the next thing. And what would we invest into, right? Was the big question. And what would we, what would we solve? And so I met with um, about three dozen CFOs mm-hmm. and ask them what the big pain points were. And every single one of them said reconciliation, reconciliation, reconciliation. But, but one, and one of my customers was a high level, uh, high major CFO who had been a consultant in the Oracle Great Plains, you know, um, really detailed billing, recurring billing, mm-hmm, sure. you know, that, that type of stuff. And he actually told me that, um, yes, it's reconciliation, but I had solved it. And so we started a five-year project together to take what he had done and turn it into a software project. And so mm-hmm. uh, we were really excited, and that's how, yeah, that's how this began. So, so that's a really good, a really good segue, actually, to my my next question. So, so rather than kind of getting into the weeds and the nitty gritty details, which we'll do in a minute. Um, can you give us kind of the elevator pitch? I mean, what you do is not something that everybody in the payments industry just instinctively understands. So can you give us that elevator pitch? I mean, what do you do? How do you provide value? What What is Gold Star Payments exactly? Yeah, what we do is we bring transparency and intelligence to the payment market, to the payment industry, to our customers, to our partners, you know, our banks. It's it's a risk management tool for some. It's a portfolio management for others. It for merchants, 
it is a tool where they can find missing money, money that's already baked in that they've already should be collected, but what's missing. And so it's an intelligent billing tool. But what we're doing is building, we're bringing transparency and intelligence into it. So we can get deeper, but it's, it's, we're data scientists, right? We're, we're going into this old cobalt broken industry, all these touch points, right? From, sure. from, you know, we can go deeper, but the reality is we're taking all the touch points. We're grabbing to the penny, everything that's being missed and lost. And then we're creating tool with that data that people can customize their experience and go, okay, I'm a CEO. I want this data. I'm a CFO. I want this. I'm a do it all merchant owner. I want this. I'm a bank. I want this. So we've data mined and created this intelligence to be able to use in a lot of different ways. But, you know, in this space, you know, merchants go, wow, this is a totally different experience. Uh, and it's first to market and we're really proud of it. But, um, you know, that, that's what we do. And we've, we've set up our ISO registration very different and almost literally the opposite of what most, most times merchants, you know, our, our ISOs are set up all back end, right? Like, Hey, this settled. So this got deposited. Our perspective is all front end. Here's what's going on. Here's bad customers. Let's block that. Let's make an intelligent decision before we make a transaction potentially. So it's really set up for a more of a front end and back end, but, but really a focus on intelligence and front end where most everybody else's focus is back end. So let me see if I can, if I can take a stab at simplifying some of this a little bit, and then you correct me if I'm, if I'm off on, on the explanation. So basically right now, it sounds like what you're, what you're saying is that a lot of merchants, even large merchants, their focus is on, okay, on the back end, we batched out, you know, $10,000 of revenue and we have that $10,000 in revenue. What your software does is says, well, wait a second, how'd you get to 10,000, right? Because there were refunds involved, there were chargebacks involved, there were, you know, there was lost revenue, you know, fraud, whatever. There was a lot of things that happened on the front end where that 10000 really should have been, you know, 10800 or 11000 or whatever, but you're losing money by the time it gets there. And maybe it sounds like their accounting systems, they just don't have the data and the, the data intelligence that they need from what's happening on the front end to find that lost revenue. Is, is that generally, is that is that a good explanation or what did I miss there? Yeah, it is. It is a good explanation. Um, so if you can imagine today, right, um, people reconciling to the day, right? right? They're not reconciling to the transaction. If there's any type of real volume, they're trying to reconciling typically to the day. Well, what's lost out of that is identifying who your, you know, we'll go into the term, but who is your repeat offenders and chargebacks? Let's not run that transaction because you know that's going to get charged back. So right. let's, let's, you know, so, and then, so, but that's only one and a half percent of it. And most companies are averaging around 10% of lost revenue. Like, do you guys hear that? 10% yeah. of electronic <laughs> payments is well documented wow. that is lost, like mm -hmm. 10%. Like, are you kidding me? Right. So, right. so the reality is we need to track to the penny. This transaction happened, so anybody, you know, agents, this will be new to, but like registered ISOs, if it's like a full bin registered ISO would understand this, um, but they're going, okay, there's an off, 
then there's a settlement that's on the front end. And then on the back end, there's a batch settlement. And then there is the acquiring right side that mm-hmm. you could get kicked out. A, a deposit could get kicked out at the acquiring side. We didn't like it. We've never seen this type of transaction. Sure. There was a duplicate. Was that right or wrong? Yeah, and then there's the actual sponsor bank deposit side, right? And then it's back through the network. So so we just described basically you know, six to eight touch points in a transaction. Well, most businesses are running all their fulfillment, you know, that on hey i got an off i'm gonna you know go ahead and go bowling right or or i'm right. gonna ship this shirt because i got an off right. but they're not reconciling to the penny to the transaction to know did i really get paid on that shirt so yeah that's part of it and then the risk part is like hey let's identify customers okay let me give you like if they get a chargeback they go oh god i had a chargeback well they deal with that chargeback, but now with our tool, they could literally click on that customer and go, okay, they've purchased nine times, and oh my gosh, they did seven chargebacks. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the cash. That's a, that's now a cash-only customer, and instead of saying, oh, I got to pay a you know a subscription for a chargeback fighting tool, the problem is reconciliation. The right. problem is intelligence. Mm-hmm. If I know that John Peterson charged back seven times, don't sell the shirt to john peterson unless it's cash right you know so so it's that type of a deal and you can imagine in a reoccurring space high volume e-com or you know even you know our last three customers were actually retail and some of them multi-location retail they're going yeah you know we have a chargeback problem and we're retail well customers are getting savvy to that they have 12 months to charge back that birthday party gift or whatever, right? And so let me help you, and let me help your software. Let me help your point of sale. Flag the customer, the card. You know, hey, yeah, great. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, you're a cash only. You've charged me back three times. You know, right? Not all customers are good. You know, yeah. Right. So we're we're really so people are like, well, is it a chargeback tool? Well, listen, chargebacks are a problem because of reconciliation intelligence. Right. We that's the problem. Right. We. We actually literally just had a retailer that had um, literally over 15,000 transactions charged back. They're big. They have 36 or 366 locations, but they they didn't realize that that just in fees, that's hundred almost $120,000, I think is what I looked at, somewhere in that range. Right. But besides the lost revenue, they also got charged over $100,000 in chargeback fees. And what we ended up finding out with our data was they were able to find out that 70% in a retail environment, those customers were repeat offenders. How valuable is that? So that that's huge, right? 70% of the customers? 70% of the chargebacks were from somebody who had already done a chargeback previously. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's repeat pretty crazy. offenders. So yeah. nowhere else on this planet today can you find that out. Right. right. You cannot find you – can, you, can, you, know, you could try to – you know put an army together and you still would have a very difficult time <laughs> right. mm-hmm. trying to organize that data. So, right. so basically you, know, you guys, you guys data, provide right? this detailed payments data. What people do with it varies based on vertical industry type need or whatever. But what you guys are doing that I think is was so unique. Why I want to do the interview is that 
you guys have figured out that, hey, there's a lot of data. It's, it's really the data that's missing, right? It's like there's these, you know, all these different touch points in our industry where the transaction's bouncing around. And at each of these touch points, there's unique data that could be potentially very useful and very profitable for especially larger merchants. And you guys are making that data available to them in a way that's useful, right? Exactly. We're, we're finding that missing 10% on average, right? We're finding that right right now it's six and a half to 11% that we see a lot. Ecom is even higher than that, but on average, that's where it is. And they're finding that opportunity now and turning it into a real revenue opportunity for the company. Sure. So let me ask you this, you know, are there specific verticals? I, I mean, I would certainly think larger merchants would just kind of obviously benefit more than smaller merchants here because it's a percentage game. But I mean, are there certain business types that you found that, that you mentioned e-commerce, you know, certain verticals that, that benefit more from your software than others? Yeah, there is for sure. The real likely is, you know, high volume e-com, right? They're trying to fulfill and, and, you know, if you have 10 transactions, you can probably figure out who's paying you or who isn't, right? But when you get a 1,000 transactions, then it becomes much more difficult. When, you, when you're when you in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, it's impossible. And so anytime there is volume, definitely. So from an agent standpoint, it's like, well, how do I attract larger merchants? How do I change that conversation? How do I add value? Yeah, you want stickiness and you want a new conversation in to you know larger merchants this is revolutionary right um so there's some pieces like that but the other verticals would be you know there's some mlm right anything that's reoccurring some you know you know the gyms the the service companies that are like utilities or yeah anything that's like monthly reoccurring you know um any type of uh agreement where it's serviceable like like you know, I don't know, in our market, we have a lot of door to door or like just anything that's on a service that's monthly reoccurring. Right. This is literally revolutionary in those. And also in the retail space, higher volume retail, as well as um, your multi-location, right? They're trying to track profit cost. Where is our missed opportunity? It's, it's huge in that kind of a franchise, like, you know, multi-location, whether it's retail right. or e-com doesn't matter there's a huge opportunity there um so so those are those are the real obvious um you know ones anywhere you're trying to fulfill so manufacturing right so product manufacturing before i ship this thing i want to make sure that this thing truly i got paid right yeah and we and we automate out custom reports for them that are like this is your fulfillment report every day live. They're like, wow, this is unbelievable. But it's, it, they truly know who to fulfill and who not. Right. So, so let that's, me, a, that's another really strong vertical. Let me follow up with this, with this question because I think one of the things, I know even in my own mind the first time we talked, I really kind of struggled to figure out like exactly where you fit in the process. So you mentioned you're a registered ISO. So let's, let's talk about this a second. So let's say that I'm an agent, okay, and I find an, an e-commerce business doing a million dollars a month in volume. They currently have an authorized.net, you know, gateway tied into their shopping cart and they're processing with, you know, Tesis or whoever, right? So they are interested in this. What has to happen? How, where do you fit in this process? Do they have to process their payments now with you? Um, are you somehow plugging into the gateway? Like, how exactly does that work? 
No, that's yeah, great question. And and what it is 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 we actually have two companies. One is called Gold Star Payments, and obviously been sponsored, you know, registered ISO, right. you know, as far as deep as you can have there. But our technology is called Eight, and this technology is going to solve the you know multiple processors. We actually have already contracts with other ISOs that are in markets we're not in or in sure. countries. It's actually agnostic. So it's it's agnostic. It can process, it's can reconcile for almost every processor right now. Okay. Ties with lots of gateways and we're always adding more. So that isn't a you know a hurdle for us. Okay. Um and and also it's cross currency. So it, it, there's some global opportunity um, because reconciliation is a problem around the world. It's a banking, it's a banking problem. It's a, it's built on cobalt. This banking world, that's worldwide. So, so reconciliation plays that role, right? And so, sure. um, this software we built to have that ability to do that. And and we will, um, you know, choose strategic partners, uh, agents, and other ISOs that sure. uh, we will partner with and and add value to them and their customers as so, well. So, so if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like there's two options for the e-commerce merchant doing a million a month with authorized.net that I just mentioned. It sounds like option one is they could switch over to gold star payments. And if they did that, obviously you guys are going to get all the data you need because you're, you know, you're the bin sponsored ISO. So you've got all the information that you need, but it sounds like there's a second option. Is there a second option where they could stay with, you know, Tesis or Elevon or whoever it is they're processing with, and you have this uh, processor agnostic software. And if so, what, what is that? What does that look like? How does that work? You have to get the data from them or how, how would you go about doing that? Yeah. Data is critical to access, right? So, but yes, you know, a merchant um, will give us access to their payment processing and, you know, under agreements and protection, they'll give us access to be able to reconcile their data, okay. um, you know, and gateways, same thing. Um, there's, there's more and more companies that are giving us access to help them reconcile their data, right? Get this organized and be intelligent. So as an agent, you know, if it's stuck in a certain integration that can't move or, or for whatever reason, right? If there are certain partnerships that make sense to us, uh, we're going to reconcile them no matter what. And, and they just give us access to some things that's very simple. And we then go to work and we fix and all that. Now there is on the payment side, we can automate everything. If there's ever an update, you know, then it's already automated. There's there's devil managerial and opportunities on the payment side that aren't there, like Main Street merchants, right? Uh, a small merchant, sure. you know, we're not going to do a lot of manual management. So so automation and some of those things are are important. But but we've uh, we've broke through most of those gaps in the industry, and and so yeah, people can partner us on the processing but also on just the technology side. Got it. Okay. So, so one last question kind of about the, the solution. So just, I'm really, I, again, I really, I knew the challenge of this particular interview would be that for our listeners, you know, frankly, it's kind of a complicated thing that we're talking about, you know? And so I think trying to simplify it. So help us understand for a merchant, really of any size, why is it important that the merchant reconcile not just the batch, meaning they don't need to just reconcile that, hey, I got $986 from my processor into my bank account, but they actually need to reconcile to the customer transactional data level 
why is that so important and how exactly do your, does your software you know, help them to do that? Yeah, so there's, there's two parts. One, if your current processor or your current report, um, basically every report other than what we've created here, if it says, hey, I owe you $100, well, most companies look at the bank and say, okay, I got $100, it worked, right? What they didn't, what they missed, if they're not reconciling to the transaction was, what of those transactions were adjusted, what transactions were duplicated and didn't get deposited, what transactions, you know, so there's that, there, you know, there's that element of just, hey, was there anything that were, was dropped out of the batch settlement for the day? Okay, right. that's one element. And, and legit, you know, strong companies who've done this the best, they're trying to keep that within two and a half percent is what we see in the industry. Okay, mm -hmm. so there's a two and a half percent opportunity there. But what that reconciliation doesn't even calculate is what is your missed opportunity? Okay, that's a whole different conversation. So who tried to pay you? And, and like on a reoccurring or an e-com model, but mm -hmm. certainly reoccurring or subscription, who tried to pay you and, and it, it got the world famous do not honor error? Well, what right. the heck does that mean? <laughs> well, now with data, you can say the ABS is right, the zip code is right, card number's right, the customer's right, the zip code's right. Why did that not go through? Or it will say, hey, run all the, these four out of the five data points on this specific transaction were correct. It's expired or it's, it's right, the right. famous do not, but the famous do not honor could simply be your ABS mess. You have an ABS mismatch that was labeled under do not honor. Just take off the ABS if you right. wanted to, they if just you know moved. the customer and rerun it. Right. So the, the customer moved last month, you know? Right. Yeah, so in in your daily reconciliation, there's errors. Right. But outside of that, you have another eight and a half percent of missed opportunity of real customers trying to pay you, and you got a do not honor list or do not honor error that gives you nothing of value. Right. And mm -hmm. so what we've done is we're taking all this data, all these touch points, and giving you a report that says, Hey, hey, merchant. If you would like to, you could take off the CV2, and that will go through. And I can tell you that your zip code matches, your billing address matches, your customer ID match. So, so they can make an intelligent decision about getting paid. Right, right. now, all they get is a do not honor. Right. What the heck? I mean, right. does that make sense? And, yeah. and we're finding, too, like way increase in pending. There's an increase in a bunch of these error codes that have no value. And right. so what we're giving them is more than one thing to make right. that decision. What's on. the data point behind the error? Why did this error actually happen and what could you do to avoid it potentially? Right, right. Literally, yeah. So our customers are, are getting a report and going, oh, if I make this adjustment, this one adjustment with these specific customers all named and identified, oh my gosh, I make $25,000 today more. Right. That's mm -hmm. literally the experience our merchants are having. Sure. Okay, good. So this has been Very really cool. interesting, yeah, right? So right. so let's let's do this, Troy. It's kind of our, our last thing here, and I, I want to dig into this a little bit. So 
you know, there's different groups of people that listen to our podcast. I want to start with, you know, ISO executives. Uh, you know, I'm a CEO of an ISO that's got 10,000 mids and we sell 300 mids a month. I'm assuming that that's an individual that could potentially reach out to you guys to partner with just the software side to potentially offer this, you know, 10%, you know, helping their merchants, you know, eliminate this 10% or, or minimize this 10% loss transactions, right? I mean, that's, that's an opportunity you guys are interested in, I assume. Absolutely. We, we, there's risk spectrums that we're not interested as a process, but they have major needs in, in exactly what we're talking about. Right. Sure. There's industries, there's verticals, there's markets that we're not in. We're, we're of an abundant mindset. Our, our goal in this is to fix is to help merchants. So we are very open to new relationships and, and we understand the world is a very big place. And so, yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities. We've already signed uh, several of those agreements um, to, to help others grow their business sure. right? and get more stickiness. So Right. So then and then I would think on the flip side, there would also probably be agents, smaller ISOs who already have a processing relationship that they're happy with for their brick and mortar, small businesses, and they would like to break into these other verticals like high volume e-commerce they might be looking at something like Gold Star Payments as, you know, will those deals that are, are very, you know, kind of low-hanging fruit for Gold Star Payments, maybe that's an area where they would want to partner with you guys to sell for your ISO. I would think that's also something you're looking for, right? Right, right. Like you have the registered agents but that are ISO registered, and you have just your traditional right. agent, right? And And so this is a new conversation. This is the only... This is a first-to-market opportunity. I mean, we're always looking for that, as well as how do I how do I keep a customer? How do I add more value? How do I, you know, how do I just, you know, let's change the conversation of, hey, you know, we're we're talking about this penny or this this percentage. Let opportunity here where it's like, hey, let's count how many new percentages of income that you're. Your revenue is going to increase three percent, six percent, seven, right, twelve, right. Instead you know, of it's, uh, it's a whole new conversation. Yeah, instead of saving them ten basis points, you can talk about saving them a thousand. <laughs> That's a little different, literally, <laughs> or, yeah, or earning them more. Different... Right. Yeah, and and their business is running through it, and it's unique, and it, so you're just you have these valued relationships you've worked years, decades to establish. Right. Now it's like, let me help you make money and let me right. help you, you know? So it's, yeah, it's a really, I think it's unique, right? There's, awesome. There's always a new point of sale. There's always something new, but this is literally industry changing, new to the industry. Nobody's ever had this conversation. Yeah. So I yeah. think it's a really rare opportunity. Absolutely. So so where do you send people that fit one of those descriptions I just gave, uh, whether it's the executive or it's the sales agent, they want to learn more, want to potentially talk about a partnership? Uh, where do they go? Yeah, go to uh, goldstarpayments.com, and you'll see partner with us, just a couple boxes there. Uh, we'll connect with you. Our team, our biz dev group will reach out and start establishing, you know, something that makes sense for you. So yeah, just come sure. to our website. Awesome. And then is there, you know, if you don't mind, I, I thought, cause I was just looking at your website and, and a couple links on there, there's like a direct phone number. Is there like a email address that you'd, you'd recommend that they email as well? If they're maybe just driving and listening to this and they, they want to just email somebody. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, just partners at goldstarpayment.com. So partners 
at goldstarpayment.com. It's goldstarpayments.com, right? With an S on the end? With an S on the end? That's, that's right. Okay, with the it. S on the end. Yep. So, so partners, plural, at goldstarpayments, plural.com. Perfect. Got it. Exactly. Cool. Awesome. Boy, I tell you what, Trace has been extremely interesting. One of the most unique interviews we've had. I'd say so. Let me yeah. say so, Patty. Yeah. So thank you very much, Troy. I really appreciate that and just hope you have an awesome day out there. Great meeting you, Troy. Have a great one. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Well, you know, James, U.S. companies are getting hammered by payments fraud. Yes, they are. They are. A new report from the Association for Financial Professionals reveals that 82% of U.S. companies were victims of attempted and or actual payments frauds last year. Hmm. And that's up from 78% the year before. And it's the highest rate ever recorded by F- AFP since it's been doing this. Wow. Which is at least 10 years, probably closer to 20 years. Wow. So that's huge. Yeah, you know? it is. Hmm. And while all fraud attempts don't necessarily uh, result in financial losses, uh, 43% of U.S. businesses did take financial hits due to payments fraud last year and uh, nearly one in four 24 percent lost up to twenty five thousand dollars that's a lot of money wow so you're saying 24 percent of u.s businesses last last year year, last year lost 24.999 up to 24.999 so that could be you know some guys might have only lost Lost a hundred dollars others might have lost twenty four thousand dollars right right but and but here's the other t- uh, wow! Look at this number here. Forty-six yeah. percent lost five hundred grand or more. Wow! That I think is a really. And yeah. what's interesting is that you know um, that the the bigger the company is, which of course is not surprising. Yeah. You know the the bigger the losses are going to be. You know. Yeah. So like eighty-seven percent right. of companies with revenues above a billion. Right. Okay, they were victims. Right. Um, whereas only 69% of those with revenues below a billion. Right. And the chasm between large and small companies um, is growing. Right. It was only 7% differential in 2017. In 2018, it was an 18% differential. Meaning that larger companies have more fraud. For more fraud. Got it. So, you know, the, the fraudsters are just, yeah. you know, they're figuring out where where's the money coming. You know, yeah. Where's the money, right? Right, of course. And so, um, you know, it, though, it's kind of funny, actually. I mean, I'm glad that it's going that direction, but it's kind of funny to me because in point of fact, I think actually the smaller companies are less likely to win the fraud. Well, that's it. They're going to get hurt more. I mean, the, right. right. The, yeah. the hundred thousand dollar company that takes a ten thousand dollar loss. Right. It's going to be a heck of a lot worse for them. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Th- th- so, you know, and, and, and interestingly, you know, check checks are the, the main culprit. Um, You know, they're. They're, um, it's you know the method most commonly used in fraud, but actually instances of check fraud are falling. Not surprising because you know let's face it, people are using checks less, and, and so businesses are, business. are accepting le- checks less. Less, right? So, seventy uh, percent of businesses had um, attempted check frauds down from seventy-four last year, down from seventy-four percent the year before. I'm surprised that that high of a percentage of businesses even take checks anymore. Well, you know, check fraud too. You got to remember this is also people like you you give a payroll check 
and then the check fraudsters will duplicate that check. Oh, okay. So this could also be even maybe like vendors. Vendors. Oh, okay. Right? All right. Okay. okay. But here's the interesting thing. So more like B2B type stuff, More too. like B2B, yeah, okay. yeah. A lot more B2B stuff. Got it. But here was the really interesting thing, that in 2010, so what, nine years ago, that check fraud number, you know, in terms of uh, businesses that had attempted check frauds, right, was 93%. Wow, and you said it's 74 now. Yeah. Wow. So that's that shows you that's a huge sure. fall, yeah. right? Sure. Now, corporate and commercial credit and debit card frauds also seem to be falling. Um, fewer than three in 10 companies, 29%, reported instances of fraud involving their corporate card accounts last year. Which continue to, de- you know, continues a decline. With EMV of and things like that, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Okay. Right? Okay, so um, now one level, one reason also AFP suggested for the lower um, incidences of, of check fraud is that, um, you know, a lot more companies are turning to the ACH, right? Sure. But the, the, the problem is, is that ACH fraud is now becoming more mm-hmm. in favor with the fraudsters. Sure. Um, yeah, I had my own my own nasty experience with ACH fraud. Like, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, it was like I guess that was like five years ago now or whatever. But you know, uh-huh. my 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 full time accountant employee uh, used our ACH account to pay himself. Oh, how nice! He just decided, wait a second, you know what? I could just put myself in here. I'll just pay myself while I pay everybody else. <laughs> yeah, so. and that's kind of the yeah. stuff that happens, you know. Yeah. And the other thing, wire transfer fraud. Still sure. a big deal, yeah. you know? Yeah. AFP said that 45% of firms um, experienced wire fraud attempts last year, which is down a little bit from the year before when it was at 48%. But here's the thing that I thought was interesting, and we've talked about this in the past. Um, a lot of these frauds um, are being perpetrated as a result of business email compromises. Really? Yeah. Because yeah, you what, did a whole insider's report remember on Remember when this. I did yeah. that just a, just a yeah. few months ago, right? Right. And just to, to refresh everybody's memory, a, a, a business email um, compromise, uh, they use social engineering uh, to trick executives into revealing information needed to initiate fraudulent, fraudulent transactions. Mm. Uh, cor- and it's a big problem for companies. Um, AFP survey revealed that 80% of companies were victims of this type of compromise last sure. year. Up from 77% in 2017, and more than half of the companies reported financial losses stemming from those compromises. Mm. Uh, and as I said, you know, before, the ACH is clearly gaining um, favor with fraudsters. Uh, 33%, so a third of the companies surveyed, reported being hit with ACH debit frauds, mm. up from about 28% in 2017. 20% reported ACH credit frauds which was up from 13% the year before. What's an ACH credit fraud? So like a credit fraud would be so um, like what your guy did. Oh, oh, okay. oh, got it, got it. So, so he credited himself. Credited himself. So there's ACH credit transactions, which are when just basically right. a push transaction. Oh, and then a debit fraud would be somebody debited you. You're, you're right, debiting oh, their, their So accounts. it's like I paid the wrong person fraudulently right. or I somebody tr- pay, charged me. Right. I got it. Okay. Right. Interesting. Right. Yeah, yeah. So hmm. um you know, this is disconcerting because you know, the ACH has generally been held out as a safe payments me- mechanism. Right, right. You know, um and often it's not the payment method itself that's being compromised, but the processes leading up to initiation. Right. Again, using your example, right? right? Because he figured out, "Oh, I can just 
Right. I have authorization. So right. Let's do this. Um. And um, you know, they what they what happen, seems to be happening according to um according to AFP is that you know these guys are figuring out how to compromise internal systems and controls around ACH through email phishing attacks, right? Things like that, or sure. with help from from insiders. Yeah. And uh, so, so I think that's really, you know, to me that just found, I find that extremely interesting because, you know, our guys don't deal with a lot, you know, the agent out there he probably doesn't think a lot of ACH, right? <laughs> right. Except when the ACH doesn't come in for your, for your residuals. Right, sure. Um, but, you know, for, for years and years we've had held this up as this is the safest system out there. Right. And um, now maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. Well, I'll tell you, too, like you mentioned earlier about um, – email phishing and things like that mm -hmm. you know one of the biggest ones that's just seemed i think a lot of times for people that almost seems like abstract you know like well what does that mean right. but you know one of the biggest ones is um, i'll give you an example like a hypothetical let's say that uh you know you get an email that says we provide you with this free resource or whatever mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. when you click on it you got to log in right well what happens is they just grab your email and password yep right yeah and they look at it and say that's a gmail account so mm -hmm. let's go see if we can log in with that password yeah or they take it and use a, a, a bot and they go and try to log into Chase Bank and Wells Fargo and they'll just try to log into it. They have, you know, maybe 50,000 websites mm -hmm. and they have an automated system that goes and tries to log into all of them using the pass email and password you just which, gave. Which one's going to work? Right. And one of them will work. Oh, cool. What can we do with that? Right. So, right. You know, there's and a lot I, of ways to do it. Yeah. And I, I would also think that with some of these phishing attacks, don't they also launch, uh, what do they call those, 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 those key ghosting you oh know? sure. Right. Where they they yeah. So like depending on what website you're on, they can see every keystroke. Every that you keystroke make. that you make. So right. you know. Right. Yeah. So anyway, well that's my take on fraud this week. Mm, that's interesting. You know what's funny to me too? It's like because we were just talking to Spot On last week, um, and kind of their unique focus on technology. Mm -hmm. uh, then you know today talking to Troy and everything. You know it's just interesting to me. I still feel like there's this other space out there for an ISO. That I, if you said James, what is the ISO out there that is focused on fraud and payment security as mm -hmm. their pitch? Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody. I don't either. So that's kind of interesting. You know, I, I feel like it's enough of an issue with merchants where that's a good conversation to have. Oh, I think so. And, don't I, you think? and, and yeah, I, I really think so because I think you know, just like when we were talking with Troy about right. you know how these guys are getting hit. Right, and they're losing so much money, and maybe it's not even <clears throat> excuse me just about security. Maybe it is about like what Troy is talking about, Gold Star Payments and that concept. But as far as having that big reseller network going out to the, the individual local small businesses, mm -hmm. making that the big pitch, right. um, that could be really successful, actually. Well, I think so too because you know think about it. Um, you know, some of the you know, I I know of instances, and I'm sure you do too. Where merchants have been sunk by fraud. I mean, they oh, end absolutely. up having to go out of business because absolutely, of it. Absolutely, yes. Right? Yeah. And and the fraudsters, I mean, it blows my mind. I was having a conversation like this with some friends the other day, mm -hmm. and they were like, really? People do that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, I'm like, my. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, people. Some of these fraudsters are a lot smarter then we realized, or right. they wouldn't be in business doing this as right. long as this they is. I mean, if, if all you did all day was sit around and think about how you could steal money from people, you'd probably come up with some creative ideas. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they're doing it. Yeah. And, and and I think also one of the things that strikes me is as we hear more and more about, quote, real-time payments right. or near real-time payments, sure. that conversation is going to become so much more important. Yeah, very interesting stuff today, Patty. Appreciate it. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com.
With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So one of the questions I get from agents all the time, Patty, is understanding all these different pricing structures. Yeah. And now there's so many of them. You know, you have boggles inter- the mind, doesn't it? It does. You know, you have tier pricing, interchange plus, and then you have flat rate, mm-hmm. then you have different types of tier pricing that have mm-hmm. come out, right? Two mm-hmm. tier, four tier, six tier. Uh, you, now you have cash discounting, surcharging, right. subscription rate pricing. You know, there's a lot. And so I want to do a little mini series, and we're going to go through each week just for a few minutes and cover one of these common uh, pricing structures. Excellent idea. Is it popular? Does it work? How do Why you sell it? Why is it popular? Right. Right. So let's start today with Interchange Plus. That's a good starter. Right. So let me take 30 seconds and tell you what it is because it should be pretty simple. Should be. It's not, but it should be. Right. Um, the idea of Interchange Plus, or you'll also hear it referred to as cost plus pricing right the idea is that there are underlying costs in our industry that everybody pays mm-hmm. right the interchange fees and primarily the dues and assessments from the card brand associations visa mastercard right right um and so there are these underlying costs and so what interchange plus pricing the promise of it is transparency mm-hmm. so it says okay we're going to take all the costs that you pay you know that have to be paid to the banks and the card brands and all the transactions we're going to pass those through at cost to the merchant Okay. Then we're going to add on top of that a uh, percentage and a per item fee. So usually interchange plus pricing, you'll hear people say things like, oh, what would you sell that merchant at? Well, I sold them at interchange plus 40 basis points and eight cents. Okay. The idea there being I sold them where I'm going to pass the cost through to them, plus I'm going to add 40 basis points, which if you don't know what a basis point is, it's one one hundredth of a percent. Right. So 40 basis points is 0.4%, which is you know 50 basis points is half of a percent. 100 basis points is 1%. Right. So we're going to mark up every, every transaction. So if a transaction has, you know, a cost of a dollar, then we're going to pass that cost through plus we're going to add 40 basis points or 0.4%, in this case 40 cents, mm-hmm. you know. Um and then we're going to also tack on 8 cents. There's an 8 cent trans per wait, item wait, fee. Wait, wait, 0.4 percent is 40 cents on oh, the dollar. Oh, that'd be 4 that'd be 4, four cents. cents. 4 cents, right. Yeah. So 4 cents plus the 8 cents right. transaction per per item fee, so now you're at 12 cents. 12 cents. That sounds more logical. There you go. <laughs> that would be pretty high price. That would that's be very high like 400 basis points. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, so that's interchange plus pricing. So, you know, the real question that I get from agents a lot of times, uh, the questions I get are, you know, number 1 is is this still a legitimate, transparent thing? I, I would say about half and half, like half the statements mm-hmm. I've seen lately. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's legit. Um, one of the things I see a lot of, I don't know if you've seen this, you know, a lot of processors will take other markup. Right. And they'll just stick it in the interchange table. Yeah, and that's something I have seen. I've often sort of like, yeah. wait a minute. Right. You're like, hold on a second. Your interchange is 2.6% yeah. effective rate. Like, no, nah. hold on. And then you look in there. Oh, there's all the markup. Mm-hmm. You know that they've put in. Um, I've even seen some now where they just blatantly. I saw one the other day where they actually labeled the interchange table the surcharge table. 
Oh, really? Which, you know, I mean, the the idea of surcharge is not just surcharging like we think of it in our industry. Right, that's the surcharge on the transaction. Yeah, surcharge means collecting. I added something extra. Right, right You know, right. so it's kind of like, oh, okay. Um, and then you look at the, the interchange table. Many times they won't even show the full interchange table because mm-hmm. they don't want you to see all the markup they added in. Right. Um, and so there can be some issues. The other thing is, of course, it's not just interchange plus, you know, percentage of per item, there's also going to be monthly fees involved, of course, of course. which is fine, sure. you know. Right. Um, so I think the big thing for me is, you know, if you're going to sell interchange plus pricing, make sure that your processing company, your ISO is being transparent. Mm-hmm. Make sure you understand the pricing. Right. I just talked to an agent literally right before we started recording today uh-huh. who, you know, thought that her, she was doing interchange plus pricing with a $99 monthly fee, like a subscription fee kind of okay. thing. And she told her merchant, her merchant was just going to pay interchange plus $99. And I was like, no. no. And because we talked through it a little bit more and I realized, no, no, there's a pride and fee, there's percentage fees. And she didn't even know what those were. Really? Because she's brand new to the industry, and mm-hmm, the and the mm-hmm. in this case the ISO being less than reputable um, was like, oh, you don't need to go through all that. Just they just need to sign it. Yeah. No, 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 no. You know. So I think if you're going to do Interchange Plus, the whole concept behind it is transparency. Right. So make sure it's transparent and make sure you understand what it is. And make yeah. So make sure you understand what the plus is and and it be, and that you're able to explain that plus. The plus is the important part. The plus is the and important making part. sure that the interchange quote unquote interchange quote unquote cost is actually interchange the cost now also though so so the interchange quote unquote cost Mm -hmm. is interchange plus dues Dues and and assessments assessments. yes and that's why that's why i personally don't say interchange plus to a customer i would say cost plus Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. now it's like it's our cost plus plus these other things right and so i think that's more of a honest you know, approach to it. Yeah, I agree. The last thing I will say with Interchange Plus, for for good or bad, is that Interchange Plus is very much prone to price increases. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because if you have somebody on flat rate, you know, I'm going to put you at 2.9%. Well, then, if you go to 3%, they're probably going to notice that. Mm-hmm. If they're on Interchange Plus, they've got all these fees on there, and they were at 40 basis points, you take them to 50 you know, they're not going to be as prone to notice that. Right. Now, I am of the opinion that, you know, I'm a capitalist. I like to make money. I don't think there's anything inherently evil about that. But what I think you got to be careful as an agent is just be careful what you're saying to the merchant. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if your company does do periodic price increases, that's fine. Just don't say we never raise your rate. This is a flat rate. We're guaranteeing you this. Right. Right. Because, you know, I mean, you need to talk to your processor and say, are you like, is that really something that you do? And and. To be totally honest, I mean, again, I'm a I'm a profiteering capitalist, so you know, I never told my merchants that because I don't mind a price increase every once in a while, because I like making more money. So if I'm providing a good level of service, it's a reasonable rate increase. I really have no problem with that. Uh, but maybe your value proposition is different. You're all about I'm this amazing person that's never going to raise your rate, but you got to work with your processor to make sure that you can keep your promise. Yeah, yeah, and it would seem to be that even when you go into a merchant, you know, you have to be sort of realistic. It's like Okay, you know, this is this is cost cost plus. Right. But be bear in mind that costs will change over time. Of course. Interchange rates change over time. They've gone up consistently. Right. And that's the whole rationale for other cost structures that we'll get to in future weeks. Right. Right? <laughs> Good stuff, James. Awesome. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.